The Start On Demand. On demand. The NHL has unveiled its plan for a possible return to hockey with a 2014 playoff. We'll speak to Leah Hextall of Hextall on Hockey, and we'll speak to Murata Tesh from The Athletic. He reports on the Winnipeg Jets, and we'll ask him the question, is Connor Halibut's Vezina Trophy in the mail? Disturbing details revealed on some long-term care facilities in Ontario that has us asking questions about our own. We'll speak to Mayor Brian Bowman on active transportation and transit. And what was your favorite outdoor game when you were a kid? I'm Brett McGarry, alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb. We are Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, and this is the Wednesday, May 27th podcast for The Start. Mackling, McGarry and McNabb, an exciting day, Greg, because I didn't think this year, at least this season, that I would be able to say, might we see the North American Ice Hockey League Championships? We just might, and if the NHL has its way, we will. And those uh, playoffs, at least a play-in round, would include the Winnipeg Jets against the Calgary Flames, a best-of-five series. We're a long way from resuming. In fact, players might not get on the ice. Well, they won't get on the ice prior to July 1st. So we're a ways out here from uh, any sort of return to action, but the NHL has made it very clear, essentially through this entire pause, that they intended to at some point conclude the season and the NHL made their plans a little bit clearer yesterday. Yeah, so that's got to be exciting for hockey fans all across the land. Loren, did you ever envision that you'd be potentially watching Stanley Cup playoff action uh, in mid to late summer? No. And, you know, I suppose I can see myself getting excited by by this when or if it happens might be the better word if it happens. But right now, I'm not really sure I get it. You know, like, I I just don't know if this needs this needs to happen, if this is necessary. I'm all I I like the idea. I want to have a slow return to normal, but I just don't know about this shortened season and jamming it in and then returning to a fall season just a few weeks later. It just feels like a lot. One of the things I do, I mean, the big difference here is when NHL is over in a normal year. I have some sense of relief because depending on where the Jets are, there's so much tension in the household, you know, and everyone's nervous and excited and all those kinds of things. And there is that sense of, like, you have a little bit of a break. And we already had that break, I guess, so I can see... You know, maybe getting excited for this in July, but I don't know. I don't know about, you know, being in shorts and a tank top and rushing back to an air-conditioned room or bar or pub just to watch this. I don't know. I have such mixed feelings. Are you excited? Well, uh, yeah, I'm excited for hockey fans because just scrolling through my social media feed yesterday, I saw so many people were just pumped about this. But looking at CJOB.com, I see that it looks like there are a lot of people who are kind of in the same boat who maybe aren't quite there yet. Just the question of the day brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit CreditAid.ca, call 204-987-6890. The question they posed yesterday afternoon. The NHL plans to have a 24-team return to play with each conference in their own hub city. What do you think? And 53% say, I don't like it. 28% say, I'll take anything. Let's just get going again. (laughs) And 19% say, great idea. So you can still cast your vote at cjob.com. Greg, when you see that 53% say, I don't like it, uh, what do you think of that? I'm not surprised. I'll be frank with you, uh, as I try to be every time you ask me a question. Uh, my social media for weeks now has been saying, look, the NHL, 
uh, NBA to a, to a lesser extent, but the NHL needs to just pull the plug on the season, start scratch next year, and uh, let's move on. But there's so much money on the line. There's also a sense of uh, normalcy, if you like, that goes with the NHL completing their season. Although I will take this shot at the league that was prepared to throw away an entire season about 15 years ago over a labor dispute. So it's not that cherished in terms of uh, what they've been prepared to do, at least in that season. And we've got other seasons that have been shortened because of lockouts and labor disagreements. So uh, to have a season that ends 11, 12, 10 games early for some teams, I don't know if if it's as big a deal as some are making it out to be. And I'm kind of puzzled by the whole idea that there might be some sort of asterisk next to the Stanley Cup champion uh, this year. Like somehow it was easier to win the cup because uh, the plan does include an expanded playoff uh, playoff teams, more teams than, than usual. They're going to have 24 teams and a little bit of a play-in tournament in advance. But the players are well-rested. They're going to be focused. I don't know. I think this might be the toughest Stanley Cup ever. To win, but uh, I might be in a minority on that. I just think that a lot of fans would just like to see it go away. So, to answer your question directly in three words, no, I'm not surprised. <laughs> directly, that was a direct route. Right? <laughs> I got there God, eventually. I hate, your, I hate to see your indirect route. <laughs> We want to talk about our favorite games, outdoor games, from when we were kids. Because, Loren, you remarked, and of course this makes sense with the nicer weather, kids can actually go outside to play. Yeah, they can get outside, and there's still some social distancing requirements that are in place, right? And so kids are trying to do their best to figure out games to play, and you can't maybe do tag because you don't want to be touching. But my kids the other day with the neighbors, I heard them, I said, what are you guys playing? You remember you have to keep your distance. Oh, we are. We're playing old lady in the shoe. And I was like, what's that? And they're like, he takes off his shoe, he chases us, pretends to be an old lady, and throws it at us. And I was like, carry on, old lady in the shoe, carry on. That is dynamite. Okay, I don't remember playing anything like that. But Jeff Forte, let's start with you, pal. What did you like to play when you were a kid? Oh, well. I just like to jump on my bike, but I was just thinking about uh, Red Rover, and I'd be mm. terrible at it because I'm so small, and I was super small when I was a kid. So, like, trying to bust through the other kids, like, I would just it'd be like a, hitting a brick wall. It was, really? Yeah. You couldn't just sort of crawl through their legs? Well, no, because you had to, like, you, you had to, to run. You had to run, and, right. like, I was so small, so just, like... Hit and that was it. <laughs> well, that's that doesn't sound fun. Where this is our, it's supposed to be our favorite game. Oh, okay. Well, uh, tag. Got the old tag or climbing trees. What about climbing mm. trees? It's not really a game, but it's just fun to do. You like to climb trees? Yeah. Did you ever fall out? No, I have not. <laughs> ah, boy. I was always terrible at climbing trees. Jeff Braun, how about you, pal? Uh, one of my neighbors about my age had a trampoline and that was the big draw in the neighborhood for sure and we were sort of like the older kids in our street so the little kids got they're the ones that got sort of banged around the most or launched right off the trampoline and we were jumping too hard or whatever so as one of the bigger kids it was it was a lot more fun because i never got hurt and of course i was back in the 80s when there was like 
you know, those old school no rules trampolines were basically a death trap. But it was like I said, when you were not one of the kids that was getting launched off it into the bushes, it was a lot of fun. Then did you ever uh, like did you ever get scared at least when you were jumping maybe a little too high? Did you ever think, oh my god, I'm going to get hurt? Oh yeah. Yep, you're up high, and then all of a sudden you're upside down. It's like, oh, how's this going to end for me, I wonder. And you get to think that for about two seconds, and then finally come crashing down. And But it, it always ended all right. And on the subject of trampolines, we can't have a discussion about trampolines without playing this. <gasps> oh, my God! What is it? Trampoline! Trampoline! All right, just wanted to <laughs> throw that in. I love that clip. <laughs> Kelly Moore, how about you? Well, when I was uh, a younger kid, we grew up in the middle of nowhere, so kick the can was uh, one of the games that we really enjoyed playing. And then uh, I think when I was in my early teens, we moved to the Fraser Valley, so there was uh, a little more of a population. And from that point on, it was road hockey and the cul-de-sac, and that's where I developed my play-by-play skills. Uh, I have such great and fond memories of those games. We've got a text message uh, from Rudy, who says, sponge hockey as well as hide-and-seek. I loved playing hide-and-seek with my friends. What about you, Loren? I think hide-and-seek would have to be right up there. Uh, we grew up on the farm, so there wasn't a ton of us. There's just the four kids in my family. And so we would do that often, like well into the night. I can remember it being almost dark outside before you'd come in. So it would be that, because I think you just felt so independent in that game. You're sort of like out exploring, even if you're on your own street or farm or neighborhood. I love that. And honestly, I just have to throw in here, it's not a game, but a bike ride. Like I can still remember being at that lake and the first time mom said, go for it, go on your own. You kids just go. And you're just like, yes, like we're cruising the neighborhood like you're 16 in a car, but you're on your banana seat bike, like with a basket in front, just so pumped to be out on your own. You felt like such a grown up. And I think that that's why bikes are still so awesome. They're so free. Yeah, I miss riding a bike. What about you, uh, Mackling? Yeah, we used to roam all over the West End, out to Cinnaboyne Park and back on our bikes. Uh, good memory there, McNabb. Of course, street football and the ball hockey in the summer. I know you don't like summer hockey, McNabb, but uh, we had some epic <laughs> battles that would not have passed any social distancing protocols back on <laughs> Golding Street back in the day. Uh, they were rough and tumble affairs, but my fondest memory of street games was the uh, was the year that my dad organized the Golding Street Olympics amongst a bunch of uh, my friends and I. There was probably eight or nine of us, and we did, I think it was six or seven different events. He timed them all, kept the standings, and of course, Corinne Peters won the gold medal. She was such an incredible athlete. She beat us at absolutely everything, but when we talk about playing on the street, I immediately go to that. So I give my dad a hard time on the air from time to time, but those uh, that's a special memory from it was probably the summer of 1976 or 1977 when we did that with the montreal olympics uh, happening uh, in the summer of 76 so uh yeah that's a, that's a gooder yeah i guess and this i don't know if this technically qualifies because this is more as a teenager we're talking about the games we played as a kid but when i was a, a younger teenager we played basketball uh, virtually every night, much, I'm sure, to the chagrin of our neighbors because that ball would not stop until the sun went down. Uh, so in the back lane of my buddy Brad's place or my friend Sean or Kent had one, uh, I always begged my, my dad to, to, to get a basketball hoop, but that never happened. Uh, probably just because he didn't want to listen to the pounding of that. But yeah, those are some of my fondest memories from my youth was just playing ball. And uh, Adam... Uh, or pardon me, the, there was another one here, I think Rudy also suggested knock, knock, 
Uh, Ginger. <laughs> <laughs> the neighbors didn't like that one very no. much. It was always fun until you got caught. Yeah. <laughs> so keep that coming. 204-780-6868. Your favorite games to play outdoors when you were a kid. And uh, what did anybody ever, Loren, did you ever build forts? Oh man, did we ever. We had a we actually named our fort. It was out in the bush. We called it Somerset. Like we were going to a a town and we had a whole structure set up. We had things left out there. We would go we would go out there as often as we could. We had a bigger space to play in. But man, a fort inside with some blankets and a couple of chairs is just as sweet. If you have a family member or loved one in a long-term care facility anywhere in this country, then the report shared by Ontario yesterday on some of the shocking conditions observed in homes in that province likely has you thinking today. Yeah, to help control the spread of COVID-19, the Canadian Armed Forces deployed its members to five of Ontario's worst-hit long-term care homes. They've since reported back to their superiors and described seeing cockroaches, flies, rotten food, as well as residents left in soiled diapers or crying out for help for lengthy periods of time. The document allege, uh, the documents allege at one facility, residents had not been bathed, Loren, in weeks. It's heartbreaking to read. It's heartbreaking to hear. Yeah, and it's disturbing and it's raising all sorts of questions, as we said. And, and of course, it's important to point out that regulations governing long-term care facilities, they might differ from province to province. And so depending on where you live or where a loved one lives, you might be asking more questions this morning than others, or you might be expressing thanks that maybe your family member or friend is in a safe and clean environment. Jan Legeros is the Executive Director for the Long-Term and Continuing Care Association in our province and joins us now. Good morning, Jan. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. I'm curious what your thoughts were when you when you read some of the details in that report and, and what it made you think about the differences between our province, provinces, because of course it leads everybody to ask that question, could this happen here? Is this kind of stuff happening here? Well, it, it the report was very hard to read. It was um, just tragic, the, the um, conditions that were described. And um, certainly, as you mentioned, there are differences between provinces. Um, I can certainly speak to Manitoba because here we do have provincial standards reviews that are conducted every two years. We also have unannounced reviews that are conducted uh, in between times, and the provincial standards are in legislation. You must meet those standards or your license is affected. Um, so that's how we manage things here. We also have legislated hours of care for our residents uh, here in Manitoba, and those care hours are monitored on a quarterly basis. So all homes must meet the uh, legislated standard hours of care. So we're fortunate in that respect that we have these accountabilities. We do, um, however, share with Ontario and Quebec some aging infrastructure, and that is something that we have flagged um, to governments over and over again. Um, Over 40% of our personal care homes are older, more than uh, 40 or 50 years old, and many of them still have shared washroom facilities, which we've heard described in the tragic events in Ontario and Quebec. So those are areas where we really need to make some improvements. And as as um, 
I think Jane Philpott said it best last night on on the news that, you know, this is on us, it's on all of us. We elect our governments and we ask them to do the things that are of the highest priority. And I believe that COVID has certainly let us know that this is a high priority. What can we all learn from this? I think we can learn that uh, we need to have national standards and we do have a really good start. Uh, We have the minimum data set uh, MDS tool that tells us um, how things are going in all of the personal care homes and we need to implement that across Canada. That information is submitted to the Canadian Institute for Health Information and is published on their website for everyone to see so that all of us can measure and benchmark against each other across the country. We also need uh, national accountability standards, and we do have some of that already in the country. We just need to finish the job. So um, for the minimum data set tool, we just need to implement at about 25% of the homes in the country, and we would have national standards across the country. Jan, standards, benchmarks, or regulations, whatever you want to call them, uh, are only as good as the uh, enforcement uh, in my mind and, and people looking out and going out and checking to make sure that these things are, that are laid out are being done. We have health inspectors for restaurants. Do we have a similar staff? Do we have a similar squad of people going out and, and, and ensuring that personal care homes are, are meeting or exceeding those standards? Yes, we do, actually. Um, As I was indicating earlier in Manitoba, provincial standards are conducted every two years, and they're conducted by um, a group from Manitoba Health as well as a group from the regional health authority that the personal care home is in. So those standards are done not just every two years, though, because that's not enough. We all know that. So unannounced visits are done as well. And that's where we would measure using, there are 26 standards actually, and each one of those standards has a subset of measures. So you're looking at over 100 different measures that are looked at and are, are um, monitored. At the end of the day, Jan, one of the things this highlights that is that if family members can't get in to monitor and check in on the well-being of their loved ones enough, then these things might happen uh, with inspections or not. And so one of the concerns we know from loved ones here in Manitoba is not that they can't just see their family members, although that is changing this week. They can't just check to make sure, you know, things are going as they they want them to be. So that'll be a big difference when family members can at least uh, have these face-to-face visits that are starting soon in this province. Absolutely. The outdoor visits have started and um, they're still very, you know, restrictive as uh, at this point in time. Uh, it's outside and the weather hasn't been all that cooperative, really. Uh, we still have to physical distance. The visitors uh, have to go through a screening uh, mechanism. And, you know, really nothing takes the place of a long, good hug, does it? Um, our association has actually made sure that every single personal care home in the province of Manitoba has a video conferencing device, either a smartphone, tablet, or iPad, so that people can visit virtually. So we're trying to do, you know, what we can to um, manage this so, so unusual time of COVID. Jan Legero is the Executive Director for Long-Term and Continuing Care Association, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Jan, thank you so much for this. Thank you for having me.
Question of the day at cjob.com brought to you by Credit Aid, helping Manitobans get out of debt since 1992. Visit creditaid.ca, call 204-987-6890. Same question on cjob.com that we've also got on Twitter. The NHL plans to have a 24-team return to play with each conference in their own hub city. Thoughts? And on Twitter, 79% say, I'll take it, let's go. 21% say, I don't like it. And indeed, NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman unveiling that playoff format yesterday. When the given go-ahead from the medical experts and the relevant government authorities is given, 24 of our 31 teams will resume play. The top 12 in each conference as ranked by percentage points from our standings as they stood through the games of March 11th when we paused our season as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The remaining seven teams will enter the draft lottery for purposes of nomenclature, record keeping and NHL awards, the 2019-20 regular season has been deemed to be completed. I love the use of the word nomenclature in regular conversations, by the way. But under this plan, the top four teams in each conference would meet in a round robin to determine the seedings for the first round. And then the rest of the top teams from each conference would play that best of five qualifying series. If this goes ahead, the Jets will face the Flames in the qualifying round with the winner to advance to the Stanley Cup playoffs, which will include 16 teams. Greg. Leah Hextall joins us now, and Leah, welcome back. We've missed our twice-weekly fix of Hextall and hockey since the end of March. Let's try and make up for a little bit of that now. You okay with that? I absolutely am. Let's talk a little hockey, shall we? Okay, so first of all, overall, what's your impression of this restart plan? You know, I think when it comes to the fact that we are all living in an unprecedented situation right now due to a pandemic that no one saw coming, I think that the National Hockey League has done its due diligence and has come forth with a plan that, to the best of their ability, represents all 31 clubs in the fairest way possible. And that also includes the draft, which, you know, it's so hard to get into to even break down you you need someone who's a great odds maker and that's not this girl with her math brain but I tell you I was pretty impressed they've done their work but at the same time we all know that the key word here it's a return to play plan so at any minute a grenade could take could go to it and it could be blown up due to what's going on with the COVID-19 circumstance. Jets facing off against the Flames in the play-in round it will be a best Uh, three out of five series. Do the Jets have a good chance to win that? They absolutely do. But you know what? So do the Calgary Flames. And the one thing about this return to play after this pause is that every team is going to come back healthy. You are not going to see the same Stanley Cup champion, in my opinion, that you would have seen if we hadn't had a pause in the season. This does help the Jets because they were one of the teams that were the most banged up, and now they've had a chance to get healthy. There's other teams that were playing extremely well, like the Philadelphia Flyers, who were on a nine-game win streak, and now that momentum, does that go away? So it's going to be a very different circumstance to see who comes out on top if the NHL returns to action if they return to action one thing that will likely be missing from this whole equation is just that sound in an arena Leah the fans Batman says he's doing this for the fans because the fans have been asking for this does that make sense for you as the primary reason or are economics really coming to play in here as well 
Well, you know, I actually think that it's not so much about economics, Lorraine, because when you look at the game of hockey right now with what they're going to have to do in order to accommodate the pandemic, it's going to be a great cost. You have to think about how much money it's going to cost to have these two hub cities and all of the personnel in these hub cities and testing and all the precautions that are the new post-COVID world. On top of that, now the ranks do not get the gate. They do not have the concession stands. And that is a huge, huge benefit to the National Hockey League and revenue and also to the owners. So I really do believe that this is about the fans, but it's also let's not get it twisted. You want your brand to be out there in the world, especially in the United States when it comes to the NHL. The lockouts have hurt them dearly in the past and any momentum they've had in delivering the sport and gaining ground in the sport. So they know that they need to get back out there, get their brand being spoke up. And I have to say, as someone who calls games and does games on television, this is going to be very interesting to see how creative they get with the production of these games between the NHL and how they are broadcast now. But I tell you, there's going to be a lot of eyeballs on a lot of screens with no fans in the stands. So, Lee, I heard you kind of mention the idea, or or your belief anyway, that the team that wins this tournament should it, uh, take place would be different than had we been crowning a, a Stanley Cup champion uh, just a couple of weeks fr- from now. With that in mind, is the team that ends up hoisting the Stanley Cup going to be viewed differently than other Stanley Cup champions of the past. I seem to think that the, this is going to be a tougher Stanley Cup to win than uh, many of the others. What do you think about that? I think that, you know, it's a different situation, but the fact is you're absolutely right. I think that this is going to be just as hard to win. And that's why I really believe there's been a lot of talk about bracket and receding and the length of the series. Those are still two things to be determined after the qualifying round, getting into the first round of playoffs. And I think the commissioner's words yesterday are very important. He talked about keeping the integrity and the tradition of the game to win the greatest trophy on earth and that is the Stanley Cup so I do believe we're going to see seven game series to keep that integrity Greg and I also think that it will remain in the bracket there's a lot of people who think it's going to go receding I could be wrong but the way you win a Stanley Cup is through a bracket through seven game series and I think they're going to do their best to keep that in place in order to keep the integrity of the trophy Leah Hextall of Hextall and Hockey joining us live on 680 CJOB Leah thank you for this thank you guys McGarry and McNabb and the sound of Maiden Iron Maiden can only mean one thing and we will tell you what that is in just a moment as we wait to hear a firm date on Manitoba's second wave of reopening Winnipeg is making plans to slowly reopen some of the city-run facilities that have been closed, Greg, for months Starting June 8th, services will be restored at three city libraries, the Millennium Library downtown, as well as the Henderson and Pemina Trails libraries. It's not clear when pools and other recreation facilities might be able to open, as public health regulations have to be followed. But, Loren, changes are coming. 
Yeah. But one thing you might not want to see maybe go back to normal, might depend on how you feel about this, is those temporary active transportation routes that have been created throughout the city. So during this pandemic, at least nine streets were closed to everything but local traffic to allow for running and biking and, and social distancing. They're designed to be temporary, but cameras were also installed on some of those streets like Lindale, Scotia, Churchill Drive to monitor just how often they're being used. And they were supposed to be in place just until the end of this week, actually. But it sounds like the closures may have been extended, which brings us to our next guest. And of course, why we were playing a little maiden for Winnipeg Mayor Brian Bowman. Good morning, Mr. Bowman. Good morning. How are you doing? We're well. Let's just start with those active transportation routes. Yeah. I believe uh, the end of the week was the original date. And now it sounds yeah. like July they might go tell. Yeah, I mean, what was announced yesterday, they were scheduled to end. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not back to, to full business in the city right now. There's a lot of people that are that are working from home. Schools are still closed. And so the, the reason why those those nine routes were were created, um, keep in mind, these are these in, in many cases were routes like Wellington Crescent, as one example, where typically in the summer, it's on Sundays from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. They're they're closed for, for traffic, except for those residents that live on those streets. And what we've done is we've made that seven days a week just to allow for additional space for people to uh, physical distance and get some get some fresh air. And they've generally been well received. I actually biked from Charleswood to City Hall yesterday and I, I used Wellington Crescent and uh, was impressed by the, the respect that people were demonstrating for each other, whether they were commuting on foot on bike or those residents that live there and what was announced yesterday is rather than having having it in uh, in the next week that it would be extended until Monday July 6th and so uh, as you mentioned a lot of dialogue and uh, people have some pretty strong views on it and uh, that level of discussion and debate is certainly welcomed for from somebody who supports active transportation like I do and many members of council do. Yeah, I would suggest the opposite is uh, a view is being held by many people, Mayor Bowman, that that not that this has been extended, but that the lifespan of these routes is actually being cut short. Lots of people would like to see them either permanent or or all the time in the summer. Is is the city of Winnipeg capitalizing on the opportunity to to look at more? Active transportation routes, uh, cycling in particular, we've had some discussion about that earlier this week, Mayor Bowman, and uh, other cities around the world are all over this and, and implementing on the fly, almost overnight, uh, cycling routes uh, so people can get from point A to point B safely uh, without either using a car or using public transportation, if that's their normal option. Yeah, well, I mean, let's keep in mind that uh, the city of Winnipeg has has developed an award-winning active transportation strategy, which we're implementing this year. We have 130 million dollars going into road and active transportation investments, record record spending on on kind of modernizing the city. But we did turn on a dime, and these uh, these new active transportation amenities were brought in uh, overnight. I mean, we reacted very quickly as a city to, uh, to introduce them, to demonstrate some innovation. I mean, I'll, of course, I would expect, uh, and I'm sure listeners would expect that it wouldn't be framed as cutting them short. Uh, I think that's, that's not the, that's not accurate when these were introduced as temporary measures and those temporary measures have been extended. And so to say cut short would imply that they weren't temporary in the first place. But your point is, is, uh, is something that resonates with me though, uh, that, uh, we need to continue to be innovative and we need to continue to look at, at how we can uh, move to a new normal 
that continues to support active transportation and healthy lifestyle. What about transit? We had some listeners writing this week that they're choosing to bike because they're worried about safety concerns on transit. Is it time to ramp service back up to allow for more buses and more spacing on those buses? Well, right now our ridership is down to about 30% of what we should typically expect at this time of year. And so uh, the reductions to the service, we reduced the service uh, by about 30%, uh, not, uh, not down to, you know, you know, we, we reduced it by 30%, despite the fact that's essentially, um, you know, we've got a lot less people taking the buses. We're going to continue to monitor and make adjustments as we're doing right now where where demand is warranted. Um, obviously, we'd like to see, uh, you know, in, in due course, people back to, to riding the buses because transit is is operating at a, at, as mu- at a much more significant loss than it normally runs at. Do you have to wait for the people to come back? Mr. Mayor, or does it make sense to start ramping up the services so that people want to come back to the bus and choose to get on the bus because they think it's the better option for them? Because right now, I think there are still those concerns. And so if we wait for the people to come, they might not return to the bus. That has to be part of the concern, given the the millions of dollars we've spent on systems, particularly the Southwest Rapid Transit Corridor. Yeah, and that's that's why we didn't reduce the service uh, by by 70% to meet the demand. I mean, we didn't reduce it to seven, you know, down 70%. It was reduced 30 to have a much, you know, a pretty huge buffer. So there's still a lot of empty buses out there, um, but where the routes are demonstrating that there's increased demand, we are making adjustments and we'll continue to make those adjustments to ramp back up the service uh, when the ridership is, is warranted. Mayor Bowman, you, you said you, you said something there, and I don't know if you, you meant it the way you said it with regard to uh, transit operating at a more substantial loss than it normally operates yeah. at uh, yeah. over the last decade. Uh, that the numbers don't uh, back that statement up. Transit typically uh, makes money, does it not? No, it doesn't. It's a heavily subsidized service. There's uh, there's mill rate support, so there's there's taxpayer, you know, residents pay through their taxes financial support to Winnipeg Transit. And so it does as a service operate as all public transportation services do in North America at a loss. And it's subsidized by uh, the riders, but also by taxpayers. And of course, we used to have a 50-50 transit cost sharing arrangement with the province of Manitoba. They unilaterally eliminated it. And so uh, despite the fact that the province is is not supporting transit uh, the way that they used to, We've continued to invest more and more taxpayer dollars to subsidize the service, which I think is a good investment. Um, It's also allowed us to beef up the safety and security measures on transit, uh, despite the fact that we don't have that support uh, that we've previously enjoyed from the provincial government. A lot of people would point to the surpluses that uh, have taken place. So I'm a little bit confused. I I understand that uh, transit requires public support, but it's been operating at a surplus, has it not, for a decade? Uh, within the transit budget, uh, there are there are some years where they'll have more of a loss and within that overall budget. But the budget is built with taxpayer dollars at the beginning of the year. So happy to offline with you to, to provide you with that information. But it is not a profitable business. <laughs> transit is heavily subsidized by taxpayer dollars. Mayor Brian Bowman joining us live on 680 CJOB for our monthly visit. Mr. Mayor, thank you for this. Thank you.
Does the punishment fit the crime? That is the question we are asking this morning after sharing with you. The 15-year-old behind a violent robbery at a Tyndall Park liquor store last fall has been handed the maximum sentence for a youth. So it was in November that several teams walked into the store to steal some alcohol. And you may recall the security video that we shared at that time. You could see the thieves pushing and shoving uh, security and liquor store staff. And then the young man in this case walked right up to the female clerk and completely unprovoked, violently punched her in the face, Greg. Yeah, the uh, 15-year-old was sentenced yesterday to three years, but with credit for time served, meaning he has about 27 months left on his sentence. Matthew Muntz is the lawyer for the accused and joins us now. Good morning, Mr. Muntz. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we appreciate you taking the time for us. This is the uh, maximum sentence for a youth, but please tell us, how will it work and how much time will your, your client actually spend in a detention facility? So uh, he was given credit for the time that he's uh, spent in uh, at uh, time and a half. So what that means, every day that he's been in for uh, actually counts uh, for a day and a half. Uh, Now, the way that it works is uh, that he'll serve roughly about uh, nine more months uh, in what we call uh, closed or secure custody. So uh, he'll be spending that at the uh, the Agassiz Youth Centre. And then from there, uh, it's anticipated that he will uh, go to uh, open custody. Uh, what that means is he'll spend that time at the uh, Manitoba Youth Centre. Uh, if uh, he uh, behaves and if he's uh, responding well to treatment, uh, then he uh, will be given a relaxing of some of those restrictions and uh, maybe entitled to uh, two-day passes or things of that sort. Lots of people having a hard time with the sentencing. Many don't think it's enough. Uh, he is 15, for example. Cat in Gimli, one of our listeners, texted us last night saying, please stop calling him a boy. He's not a boy. At 15, he's old enough to know right from wrong. Call him a youth if you must. Is there enough rehab in these youth detention facilities to help make sure he's not released and walking a path of crime again? Well, look, I'd like to address that. I mean, uh, the legislation which governs uh, individuals between 12 and 17 years old uh, is the uh, the Youth Criminal Justice Act. And in different areas of, uh, of the law, you know, we acknowledge that, uh, you know, individuals under the age of 18, uh, you know, their, lim- their rights are limited. Uh, we don't allow uh, individuals uh, under 18 to buy lottery tickets. Uh, you know, you're not able to obtain a driver's license until, uh, you know, a certain age. Uh, but unfortunately, we expect a, a different standard for um, you know, for uh, for 15 year olds, uh, this was a situation where obviously people are going to be upset about this. Uh, we acknowledge that, and and my client uh, acknowledged that uh, this was a situation which had an incredible impact on him. Uh, and, and I don't think that there's going to feel uh, a sense of retribution uh, for any sentence that uh, that he receives. But um, what's important to know is that uh, he feels incredibly horrible uh, about uh, what had happened. Uh, he has already uh, made some strides in terms of uh, taking some programming on his own initiative. Uh, and as part of the uh, some of the reports which were prepared, uh, he's able to have uh, been taking some medication, which uh, already uh, looks like it's been helping. It's had an impact on him, I, I suppose, but also on the victim in this story, the woman who was punched in the face. Life will never be the same for her in terms of how she feels about her safety. It's had widespread impact on liquor store staff. And so while it's good to hear about his remorse, I'm curious what level of apology uh, he offered and where he's at with trying to reconcile the idea that, that words can only go far enough. People need to see actions as we go forward with these people committing these crimes, Matthew. Yeah, of, of course. Uh, 
bit of a difficulty is that uh, any time in core proceedings, uh, it's uh, it's typically an order which has been made that uh, an individual can't have uh, contact uh, with uh, with the victims. I, I can say that uh, in all of the reports uh, which uh, were prepared, you know, he, he did. He expect, expressed a genuine remorse uh, throughout the entire court proceedings. Uh, he had his head down. Uh, and, and I acknowledge that this is a situation which has had an impact uh, on all of the victims. Um, but I think uh, one of the uh, victim impact statements that uh, one of the victims had filed is that Look, uh, you know, he just essentially wants everyone uh, to move on. Uh, we all walk through a different, uh, you know, legs of life. Um, and, and it's just everyone's hope that we can move forward from this in, a, in as positive manner as possible. Matthew, did, will the uh, individual um, that we're talking about here, will this youth carry with him uh, this record uh, will there is this sort of a, a first warning situation what happens if he ends up before a judge again whether as a youth or as an adult what happens are lots of people feeling as though this is this is a slap on the wrist for something that is quite serious well it, it's important to remember as well that this is an individual who had no prior criminal record, and he received what was considered the maximum sentence. Now, as a lawyer, uh, part of what we look at doing is, uh, you know, a theft charge, for example. Uh, That encompasses a lot of different situations. That encompasses everything from, uh, you know, stealing a chocolate bar from a liquor store to uh, stealing from uh, from your employer. So when we consider uh, a robbery charge, you know, we have to consider where uh, that falls on the spectrum. And, and there's no denying that this was a completely horrific event. But, um, you know, when we consider other types of robberies uh, that come come up, you know, in situations where individuals uh, walk into a convenience store with a firearm uh, or, uh, you know, use uh, different levels of, uh, of violence, um, you know, we felt that for an individual uh, with no prior criminal record, uh, the maximum sentence may not have been uh, considered appropriate. Matthew Muntz is the lawyer for the accused in this case, joining us live on 680 CJOB. Matthew, thank you for this. Thank you so much. Wednesday at 8.37. That means only one thing, our weekly visit with the one, the only, Hal Anderson. Hello there, Hal. Hello, Triple M, Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. How are you on this Wednesday? Doing all right. Good. Yeah. Good. Excellent. Everybody has a cooking show these days or a cookbook, and everybody is uh, cooking, it seems, and making bread especially uh, during the pandemic. So why wouldn't Trojan condoms come out <laughs> Uh, with a cookbook. Sure. Um, I love the title. It's called Rising Time. 25 bread recipes. <laughs> 25 bread recipes to remind couples to have sex at home. And uh, like you would uh, match and pair a wine to a, a dish, they do the same. They match a bread recipe with one of their Trojan condoms. There. Um I had just tied in with the Helen Mirren uh, sexiness thing. I just wanted to mention that quickly. Speaking of food, boy, we're eating a lot more food uh, during all this as well. You can now buy nail polish that smells like some of your favorite foods. <laughs> Apparently, Walmart's carrying this. I don't know if Walmart here is or not, but it's called the new Sweet and Salty Collection from Sinful Colors. 
chocolate cake, cookies and cream, even donut. Uh, those are the sweet ones. The salty selections are cheese puffs, pizza party, <laughs> and taco Tuesday. Hmm. I, I think that's a, kind of a horrible idea. Wouldn't you be hungry all the time if, you're, if your hands yeah. smelled like cheese puffs? Well, mine smell like cheese puffs pretty much all the time. <laughs> Uh, but that's because I'm eating cheese puffs. So uh, it's not because I put nail polish on or anything. Um, hey, uh, Loren and Greg, one of my favorite things about listening to the start is hearing about your kids. Greg hearing about the boys and Loren hearing some of the stories. The, the one Was it just today? I, the days have melted all together. Was it today you were talking about the game they were playing, the old woman shoe game or whatever Old that lady was? in the shoe. You pretend to be an old lady yes. and you throw a shoe at someone, Hal. It's very yeah. it's very sure. creative. I've read about it. Yes, it's very popular around the world. Um, I found a Reddit thread that I got a kick out of random things that parents have caught their kids doing. And I may open up the phones on this on my show this afternoon. Let me just give you one or two here. Uh, when my son was about four, I caught him looking up at the light fixtures and whispering. I asked him what he was doing. He said, I'm asking all the light bulbs in the house not to fall and kill you. <laughs> like just weird things oh. that our kids do. I love it. Uh, here's another one. Uh, I caught my kid at Costco, in a Costco, coating himself in garlic powder. Like just the stupid, crazy things uh, that our, our kids do. By the way, speaking of kids, Loren, I thought I'd mention this. Um, and, well, you too, Greg, uh, for your kids and everybody else. J.K. Rowling's new book, The Ichabog, mm-hmm. is free online. You can get oh, that really? for free. Yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, the kids yeah, are reading so Harry Potter right that. now. That's awesome. There you I, go. There you I have. have to be honest. I've been distracted ever since you brought up Rising Time, the Trojan brand yes. condoms cookbook. Yeah, <laughs> I know. But listen, you can hear that. You can hear the click of the keyboard now. As <laughs> millions of people order the book online. It's because you guys. I don't even. I don't even dare say some of the names of these recipes because they're so funny. <laughs> oh, you went to look it up. That's funny. Yes, I know. You can I actually hear Loren blushing. Yes, I know, Loren. <laughs> that is exactly am, why. That is exactly. <laughs> why i kept it very vague i didn't get into too much detail but i thought it was uh, worth mentioning today and then i'm going to definitely do this on my show this afternoon uh, there's a new study out the happiest songs ever uh i think it's a list of uh well there's a top 10 list for sure i think it's 50 songs this is interesting i'll, I'll get into some of the specific songs on my show and we'll play some bits and pieces but this is sort of interesting the study found that the happiest songs came from the 1970s the songs from the 70s are the happiest isn't that interesting the 70s yes like the well wasn't everybody high in those in that day <laughs> well, yes. no i'm just blanking <laughs> yeah. them all with the same there brush you go. but were the lyrics See, Loren, I'm, I'm trying to be really vague and just you know and you're just being so specific all right go back to your uh, trojan cookbook there that's it for me have a that. great day everybody Hal Anderson Afternoons, he's on from 1 until 4, and he has a Santa Lucia, two-topping large pizza to give away on his show today. And, uh, oh, yes, I <laughs> I very much enjoy the, uh, I won't read the recipe as it as it says, but the pumpernickel recipe uh, for, this <laughs> for the Trojan. <laughs> I am literally sending you guys a text right now about that. I am like a 16-year-old laughing so hard here right now. Uh, sourdough.
NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman unveiled the NHL's playoff format yesterday, and the league's return to play protocol will include 24 teams. When the given go-ahead from the medical experts and the relevant government authorities is given, 24 of our 31 teams will resume play. The top 12 in each conference as ranked by percentage points from our standings as they stood through the games of March 11th when we paused our season as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. The remaining seven teams will enter the draft lottery for purposes of nomenclature, record keeping and NHL awards, the 2019-20 regular season has been deemed to be completed. Lots to discuss with our next guest, not the least of which, in my mind anyway, is the fact the NHL regular season is now over, which means NHL regular season awards conversation. In particular, Winnipeg Jets goaltender Connor Hellebuck. Murat Atash covers the Jets for The Athletic and joins us now. Good morning, Murat. Good morning. How are you? Doing very well. Good to hear your voice. Hey, let's let that Hellebuck question hang out there for a minute or two. Uh, let's start with uh, the playoff format the league and the players have come up with. What do you think about it? Well, I think it's wild, and I think it's a little bit, you know, on the crazy end of things, but in in a good way where there's this um, expanded tournament format. There's 24 teams that technically have a chance to win the Stanley Cup if and when hockey resumes again. And, you know, as, as a proponent of Team Chaos, um, I'm, I'm all for it. And, and certainly there, there are things that not everybody's happy about. Um, but the Winnipeg Jets and, and those listeners out there who support the Winnipeg Jets should be happy about it because they go from ninth, which would traditionally be just outside the playoffs by points percentage, to having a very real shot against the Calgary Flames in a play-in round. Yeah, it's been so long since uh, we've seen any action that I had to go looking yesterday after the plan came out because I couldn't remember where we were and and who we might end up playing and what the records were for all the teams. So it sort of in some ways feels like a slightly fresh start, but I want to jump off one of the words you used about team chaos. What's the chaotic part about it for you, Mir? Um, well, it's it's interesting, right? So with with twelve teams in each conference having a chance to to go all the way and win the Stanley Cup, they the they needed to expand uh, the traditional playoff format. So there there are teams who now have have a shot in what are close to fifty fifty first round play in series uh, that realistically were not going to make the playoffs originally. And you might point to uh, um, teams like Chicago in the Western Conference. Uh, teams like Montreal in the East, and there are a, there's a legitimate chance that teams that had genuinely poor regular seasons could go all the way, and, and some purists won't necessarily like that. There's another wrinkle, and it does affect Winnipeg. Um, the original way that the NHL proposed that this would happen is that the Calgary Flames and Winnipeg Jets would play in this best-of-five play-in qualifying round, and they would go against the number one seed, who presumably is the St. Louis Blues in the Western Conference. But what the, what has been done as part of Team Chaos here is that the top four seeds, and that's St. Louis, Colorado, Vegas, and Dallas in the Western Conference, they're kind of starting from scratch. They're going to be playing a round robin against each other to determine those seeds all over again. And even though St. Louis was number one amongst those four originally, um, they're starting all at zero points. And the only way their regular season comes into it at all 
is if one of the if two of those four teams are tied and they'll use the regular season as a tiebreaker. So suddenly Dallas and St. Louis um, were several points apart. They're on equal playing terms for kind of the right to play the winner of Winnipeg and Calgary. So how does the matchup look for the Jets versus the Flames? You know what? Of of all of the um, of all of the possibilities, I like it for Winnipeg quite a lot and. You know, it, it should be fair to say that after all of this time off, and especially in Winnipeg's case where there's some health concerns and uh, some recovery going on, um, some more time for trade deadline acquisitions to get familiar with things like Cody Eakin and Dylan DeMello, especially as a key player, um, you have to like Winnipeg's goaltending against the Calgary Flames. Connor Hellebuck, I mean, that Vezina caliber season, I think it's, I think is all almost renowned across the entire NHL. Connor Hellebuck has, has made a name for himself. I like his chances against a Cam Talbot or a David Riddick in net. That's a real strength for Winnipeg. And then up front, both teams have a lot of firepower. Uh, both teams have uh, some veteran presence on defense and things like that. But I think the difference is in goal, and I think Winnipeg has a clear advantage. Boy, you sure know how to sew your way and uh, work your way to a transition here in a segue. So let's ask about Hellebuck. Is he the odds-on favorite to win the Vesna? Should he be bugging his his postman? Uh, you know, is is it here yet? Is it here yet? <laughs> yeah, it's interesting too because um, with the the state of the NHL and the world at large as it is. Um, the format of the NHL awards wasn't even amongst the discussion yesterday. That's still t- to be announced. Uh, it seems likely it will be virtual in some way. So maybe, yeah, there'll be a drone hanging uh, a, a trophy outside his window at some point. Um, <laughs> look, nobody in the NHL stopped more quality shots than Connor Hellebuck did this year. And, and I think that there's a compelling argument that he is the reason Winnipeg made it as far as they did with a chance at the initial playoffs and, and with the seed they have in this new format that the NHL has announced um, you can look at some good performances by, you know, a player like Tuka Rask in Boston, who's been an excellent goaltender for a really long time. But even he, adjusted for games played, nobody in the league can match Hellebuck saves per game, goals saved above expectation per game, whether it's shot quality or quantity, Hellebuck comes out number one above all the stalwarts. And then one more thing just to throw it out there, because sometimes, I don't know if you ever feel this way, uh, in Winnipeg, we wonder if the things that we know are good in Winnipeg have made it elsewhere and out there into the rest of the world. Well, at at The Athletic, we ran a poll for this uh, amongst all of the writers in all of the cities, and Hellebuck got, I think it was 60 out of 63 first-place votes or something to that effect for the Vezina. It's clear-cut to my mind. So they know. So it's us. the general managers, I think, that that uh, vote on that award, right, Murat? And so that has to have. Well, comes to mind to me then is uh, Connor Hellebuck in the conversation for the Hart Trophy as most valuable player in the league. You know what? I think that there is a compelling argument for that. And if Connor Hellebuck does in fact get Hart Trophy votes as the MVP, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, you know, if you look around the league. Uh, you know, in Edmonton, you can make the argument that Leon Dreisaitl has Connor McDavid on, on that side. Or 
Um, you know, with New York, Artemi Panarin had just a phenomenal season, uh, but the the team at large didn't. In, in Winnipeg, you kind of have the perfect combination of a player who was phenomenal from start to finish. All of the analytics love him. If you look at the amount of goals he saved compared to what you might expect, you can make the argument that Connor Hellebuck is the reason that the Jets made it as far as they have so far. And, uh, and they're still in the mix. So I think that there's, there are some arguments that point towards he was the MVP of the NHL this year. Um, but I also don't think that it's traditionally the sort of pick that, that uh, the NHL goes with. I wouldn't expect him to be a finalist or a winner for it. Say this happens and this goes through, Marat. What conversations will there be about the winner and whether or not, you know, we've been talking throughout the morning about that asterisk. Will that be placed on the season no matter what? Because it's so very different. They're starting from almost scratch, as you say, with the idea that at least so many players have been able to mend and get over injuries. The momentum teams might have had is lost. So it's, it's almost like a fresh start. And so what will that do to the winner or loser with that whole idea of, well, it doesn't count because that was 2020 or it does count because it was so much harder than it might have been. I mean, where do you sit with that idea? Yeah, you know what? I, I understand both sides of that, and you framed it really, really well. I, For me, I think back to when Drew Doughty was talking about, hey, you know what, nobody's going to care about this. And, you know, I, dis- I disagree with that. And uh, personally, I think that as soon as you drop the puck, if we all get to enjoy that and everything goes well, um, you can't tell me that these players aren't going to care 100% or, or compete 100% all the way along the line. The fact that there's 24 teams you're right, does kind of make it a little bit more grueling. There's an extra round involved, and it sort of almost reduces the odds a little bit. You might see a, you know, some of the league favorites say, well, oh, if we had just the momentum, we would have made it all the way. I, don't, I personally don't have time for, for that. I know it's a, it's a weird and wild situation. The world is going through a wild situation right now. And it, for me personally, I look back to lockout shortened seasons. I don't think anybody's taking away the glory of, of the Cup from that particular year. And I think that there, I think that if this does happen, it really will be special for a lot of people in hockey and observers of hockey. Uh, and it will be maybe even extra special given the state of things. Murat Atash covers the Winnipeg Jets for The Athletic, joins us live on 680 CJOB this morning. Murat, thank you for your time as always, sir. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. 946 on 680 CJOB. And again, we've thrown up some polls on Twitter at 680 CJOB and on Facebook on your thoughts on the possible return of the NHL. It's Matt. He sold me. You're Sorry. sold? I think I'm sold. I don't know. Three hours ago, where was I? Four hours ago, I was disinterested. But I might be back in. Maybe it's the bandwagon feeling. I don't know, Brett. I think what's that's probably going to happen for a lot of people, Lorena, because we've now moved into that period where we're getting ready for summer, and typically hockey, at least watching hockey, isn't a part of that. And we're kind of feeling like, okay, do we really need to go through this? But it's just been dropped on us, right? So we need time to absorb it and warm up to the idea that, hey, maybe we'll actually have some some ice hockey while we've, we're putting more ice in our drinks to sit on the patio there you go that's what might be selling me on it it's the excuse (laughs) good Uh, to have you aboard McNabb (laughs) for whatever reason you know what we're doing tonight well hockey's on we're gonna need some wings some nachos and a case of beer (laughs) justifies all sorts of activities let me tell you that Hey, thanks for listening to The Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think. 
and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at GMACWPG, that's G-M-A-C-K-W-P-G. I am at Brett McGarry, B-R-E-T-T-M-E-G-A-R-R-Y. And Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global, and on Instagram, at McNab on CJOB. Talk soon.